We wanted to take a second just to recognize so much of the heaviness that's going on in the veterinary industry right now. We have lost several members of the veterinary community over the last couple weeks um, for various reasons. And it just seems incredibly um, significant and, and heavy and something that we feel important and we and we want to reach out to our community to send love and peace. Um, the loss of Summer Taylor on July 4th this year was devastating and um, a, a heartbreaking loss to not only the veterinary community, but to, you know, underrepresented individuals everywhere. And we asked uh, Jade Velasquez, the president of the Washington State Veterinary Technician Association, to say a few words just about the loss for the community out there in general. And we just really want everyone to know that we're with you. The summer, their message is our message and we will work to continue to be allies, to raise voices. Um, and we're looking at podcasts and scheduling um, times in the upcoming episodes to see how we can elevate voices of those that are underrepresented right now. It is with great sadness that we at WSAVT announced that we lost one of our own on July 4th, 2020. Summer Taylor was a veterinary assistant at Urban Animal Veterinary Hospital. They passed away due to the injuries they sustained after a car intentionally broke through several barricades and struck peaceful protesters. The WSAVT board sends our deepest condolences to Summer's family, friends, colleagues, and the pets and clients that they helped. As with any group of people, our board consists of varying personalities, backgrounds, and beliefs. But we also consist of a group of people who choose to use their voices to advocate for equality and fairness to support those within our profession. Summer was using their voice to advocate for what they believe while continuing to work full-time to share their love of their patients. Sadly, we will never know what Summer could have done, and their voice was silenced on that day. Instead of reflecting on the tragic incident that preceded their death, may we continue to use our voices to the best of our ability and remember that summer lives on in the patients they helped along the way. Rest in power, summer. A side note, please note out of respect, summer, who is non-binary, used the pronouns they and them. So this is my statement from the Washington State Association of Veterinary Technicians. And it's very sad to lose someone who had so much to offer still. And there has been a lot of circulation on various feeds and even discussion within the veterinary community itself whether or not Summer's actions could have prompted this sort of response. And I really want people to understand that Summer had a mother and a father. Summer had friends and Summer had colleagues, people that they worked with every single day. And... I believe that in veterinary medicine, we can look past 
politics, we can look past what's dividing us right now, and we can truly be grateful that there was someone like Summer in the world, and we can also be sad that there was such a devastating loss. Please remember that we in the community need to remain unified and supportive of each other, regardless of what side we are on. We're all in this because we want to take care of animals, we want to take care of our clients, and we want to take care of each other. I believe that Summer has taught us all a very valuable lesson that we can use our voice and that it can be struck down sadly, but there will be those that continue to spread that message and continue to spread the importance of unity. And that's what we need right now in vet med. So thank you, Summer. Bless you. And I hope you find your peace. Additionally, um, yesterday and um, today is is the 14th of July. So um, we lost a member of the veterinary community, another member of the community to suicide. And um, so we want to send our love and condolences to the VCA family and those that were affected by the passing of this individual. We want to remind everyone that if you are at risk, if you are feeling alone, you um, absolutely need to reach out to someone. Remember, you can um, you can text, you can call, you can go on the internet, and you can get help, and you're never alone. So we just want to take this moment to send some love and some healing, and and to elevate the veterinary community. Even though things seem kind of bleak out there, we still have to go to work every day. And we are sometimes asked by our clients to do things that are borderline unethical, immoral, or even downright illegal. And so this week, we've got a very special guest to come on and talk about that with us. But before we get into all of that, as always, I am one of your co-hosts, Dr. Ernie Ward. And I'm registered veterinary technician, Becky Mosser. And this week's guest, I'm just really excited to have her on and talk to her. Uh, Elisa Mariner reached out to us by email with a situation she's facing in her industry and in her space. And we said, Elisa, come on the Veterinary Viewfinder and talk to us about it. So we're really excited to have her here with us today just to talk through this situation she's been facing. Elisa, thanks for joining us. Hi there. Thank you for having me. Well, listen, I just want to thank you because you reached out to, to us personally and said, hey, here's something. And you described some scenarios and said, you know, what do you guys think about it? How do you handle this? And then we just instantly said, hey, let's talk about it together. And so I really want to thank you once again for joining us. You're welcome. I'm happy to talk about this. Tell us a little bit about where you are, what your experience has been, so the Viewfinder family kind of knows who we're talking to today. Uh, well, I've been a registered veterinary technician for 12 years. Um, it's something that I've been passionate about for um, since I was a little kid. I've been working in small animal practice the whole time, um, and recently, over the past year, I've focused my attention on orthopedic procedures. Uh, so this is kind of where this more insurance questions have kind of come about. 
So maybe let's just describe for the viewfinders what you are confronting and, and having a challenge with in your clinic, and then we'll take it from there. Um, so it hasn't necessarily happened a ton, but I do feel with pet insurance on the rise and people becoming more aware of the benefits of having it that um, I was getting asked a few more questions that I wasn't used to getting, uh, one of which being dealing with orthopedic procedures. We are, you know, it's a costly procedure to do. And when clients are faced with a couple thousand dollars, they're looking for help. Uh, so they have started to ask, you know, can they get insurance now? And we've already diagnosed an ACL injury or CCL injury. Uh, so it's kind of spurred on some additional questions that I wasn't quite ready or comfortable to answer. Uh, thankfully, I've had enough experience with clientele of how to approach it in a professional manner. Um, but at what point do I say this is professional or I'm uncomfortable continuing with this conversation? In fact, pet insurance fraud actually became a huge thing about 10 years ago in the UK, you may recall. In fact, there was a recession in the UK and people were doing some crazy things. And, and just viewfinders, just so you know, how how crazy this situation can get. And Elisa and Becky, I don't know if you're familiar with this, but they were these were people that had like purebred pedigree dogs and they were injuring them themselves. They were like harming them and then making a claim saying this dog can't show or be bred or whatever, crazy stuff and making claims on insurance. So this can really spin into ways that you don't often think of. Now, what Elisa is describing is a situation, and I think many of us have found ourselves in before, the dog comes in with a cruciate rupture, for example, and they're like, oh my gosh, you know, that's going to be how many thousands of dollars? Can I get insurance for that? I mean, can you just like not put it in the record today? Can you like wait a little while? And I want to be clear viewfinder families, it is a crime to knowingly provide false, incomplete, or misleading information to an insurance company, period. So you can actually be caught up in this legal liability as well. So Elisa, you're having these situations and I'm guessing that they're asking you to postpone or look the other way or things like that. Uh, thankfully, no one has necessarily asked me that. Um, I did have one client ask, um, they were calling just for a second opinion and a general idea of how much it, the procedure would cost. Uh, in that process, they were asking, well, can I schedule this six weeks from now? Would my insurance company see when I actually scheduled this? Um, and so that's, that's where I became a little uncomfortable. And I, I stated that does become an ethical concern. Um, you know, what the insurance company's protocols are behind that, I cannot answer for them, but it does become a moral issue. And, and Lisa, just to be clear, it's a legal issue, right? I mean, Illegal, so for us, yes. yes, we, we, there's definitely an ethical and moral component to this because they're defrauding, but these people can be fined. They can be sentenced, uh, and minimally they're going to lose their insurance or they're not going to, they're going to be denied. Uh, the other scenario, Becky, that I've seen quite a bit are the pre-existing conditions, right? I mean, this can be like a cancer that you diagnosed years ago. And even if you cured it, some of the policies, you know, they won't cover any future cancers, for example. You know, if you diagnose like hip dysplasia in one hip, then they say, well, the other hip's not covered either. So Becky, have you had those kind of dilemmas as well? Sure. It's actually, I, it's kind of funny because pre-veterinary technician life, I actually worked for a private investigation firm and we used to do investigation on insurance fraud. I mean, that was that was where we were at. We weren't like following cheating spouses or whatever, right? So I used to watch people do this on a day-to-day -day basis, literally eight hours at a time. So I'm not surprised that people do this with their pets. Um, and I'm really glad we're talking about this. I'm glad Elisa reached out with these questions to us because 
we do really push really hard on the positive side of pet insurance. And we do really push really hard on having SOPs. And I think that this is an area where we can kind of marry those soapboxes that we so regularly climb up on to talk about the negative side and the things that we need to be prepared for and the conversations that we need to have ahead of time. So for me, it's kind of just a matter of being ready because I think, Elisa, and I don't know if you will agree or not, the first time that this kind of ever happened to me I was like mind blown. Now I am a super like gullible, number one, super gullible. Number two, worst liar ever. (laughs) Number three, zero desire to lie. I would rather throw myself under the bus all day. And so the first time somebody like alluded to, you know, changing medical records up or or I'm like, sorry, sorry, what? Like I was so like, what are you asking me to do? So, um, Alisa, I like that you are are handling this enough to kind of like just say like, whoa, I'm not I'm actually going to remove myself from the conversation. But I can say that enough times I have seen uh, veterinary professionals. I won't point to either side of the spectrum, do some questionable things for their clients, because I think there are times that we're more afraid of losing a client than actually being caught doing something super fraudulent like that. And and to get to the other side of the equation, which is my side, I'm guessing, <laughs> Becky, <laughs> and there's also a fraud when it comes to padding the bill. Sure. So this has also come up. I mean, and again, in my other experience with pet insurance companies, we would see these claims and this is why they had to be reviewed. And suddenly, you know, there's this one bill that's like a thousand dollars more than all, you know, we've done 1500 of these and they're like, wait, why is this one a thousand dollars more? So that's also part of this whole scenario. Now, Lisa, you, you, you said you had a phone call. They're shopping around for a second opinion. They're saying, Hey, if we wait six weeks, how did they take what you told them? Um, I think they kind of chuckled it off as almost like, oh, I wasn't being serious in a sense, but sure they were. They, they yeah, were serious right. enough to ask me. <laughs> right, right. Um, they've never met me before. And, um, but, you know, again, I agree with you, Becky. It was one of those things where I'm just a little thrown. Um, yeah. I'm quick on my feet. Um, I'm used to, you know, I understand people are people. I try not to judge. Um, but when you're, again, I guess it, I never really looked at it as necessarily illegal, although it very much is. Um, it was, again, I, I don't like lying. Um, I don't think it's appropriate in any sense. There's ways to, to work things out without lying. And um, I try to answer questions directly, but uh, I got uncomfortable for sure. So another interesting point I find here, besides the fact that my garbage men show up exclusively when I'm recording, is um, Absolutely. I wonder if they're more quick to ask technicians and CSRs this type of thing, right, than the veterinarian. Like, mm-hmm. How quickly do you think that they would even slightly hint to the veterinarian that we could do this as opposed to the veterinary st- support staff where they think maybe they could push a little over on? I don't know what your thoughts are on that. I agree. I definitely think there's there's stages of the staff that they'll go through as far as receptionists and CRS uh, to the RBTs, to the doctors, uh, what they think is appropriate to handle uh, anything below the doctor. Um, I agree. I, I don't think they would have asked the doctor directly. Yeah. And I'll tell you a true story. Years ago, I believe strongly in pet insurance, because even though we're going to talk about some negatives today, there are way more positives. Okay? Right. But anyway, here was the situation. This is a cocker spaniel. Duh. Has ear problems. Duh. Again. And so we had reached the point where we were going to have to do an ablation, right? A surgery to, to try to correct this. I mean, this was one of those just disasters, right? And so we had like 
two or three years of medical reports, you know, <laughs> chronic chronicotitis, chronic, blah, blah, blah. and and they came in and the lady's like, well, I'm going to get insurance to, to pay for the, um, the, the surgery. And we're like, it's going to be denied. It's a pre-existing uh, thing, right? So we go through the whole, she files and does all that stuff. It's denied. And then she actually claimed that I had never told her her dog had chronic otitis. So we lost a client. I mean, she was, this was crazy, right? But at least, I mean, you can see how people try to spin this. And when they're committed to that, you know, if they're, if they're consistent going, you know what, I'm sticking with my story. You can see where this turns sour Definitely. quickly. Definitely. Um, I think, you know, this is where it comes important is just charting is so important, um, explaining things that you've discussed in the past um, and having those charts locked afterwards so they can't be altered. Um, but, uh, you know, we, we run into the issue of, you know, well, yes, you can get insurance um, and it can very well cover uh, procedure for the other knee. Um, but as far as what we've already diagnosed, you know, it's it's now a preexisting. Um, but at that point, it becomes concerning for me of of spinning it on a, a negative sense of saying, well, unfortunately, it is preexisting. Does that then prompt them to want to try to get a second opinion at another clinic, which I've also been asked, um, you know, what's stopping them from going to another clinic and getting what they would call a new diagnosis there? I guess, you know, I think there are only so many things you really can do to to prevent that. But I I think the insurance companies are pretty on the up and up in terms of, so there's like no other medical history on this dog, not a rabies, not anything Mm -hmm. anywhere. And requesting additional, you know, documentation. So what will happen too, at least what I'm seeing is they're actually saying, no, we need to see the records from your previous vet. You've only been at this vet for six months, right? So that's, that's suspicious to say the least. And I will tell you this, there is a, there's a, a higher level of data sharing at the pet insurance and insurance level than you might think. So there are, you know, people that if they commit fraud with one pet insurance product, they're not going to get another pet insurance product in the United States, right? I mean, so so I do think they're trying their best to to make sure that they keep out these bad actors. But at least, I mean, you know, you, you're, you bring up a really good point. And I think this is where some veterinarians, not RVTs, will bend on these topics because they'll be like, well, you're right. They're just going to go down the road and somebody else is going to get that, you know, $3,000 cruciate procedure. That happens, right? I mean... Yeah, I mean, I, I think it certainly can. My question for Eliza was, what did you do in terms of looping your veterinary, your veterinarian in once this happened? Is this something you kind of went back and talked with your manager or the veterinarian about? Is it something you kind of are keeping on the DL to yourself? Because I, my, I wonder then how we do follow up with this client after that. Is it something we all just like ignore or is it something we bring up on a very serious level? Uh, so particularly the most recent case, um, it was one of those scenarios where fortunately my doctor was close by when I was having that conversation with the client initially, and I didn't even put two and two together. Uh, he kind of laughed about it and said, you know, this is so-and-so um, that was asking those questions. So um, thankfully, the said client never went through with what they were joking about. Um, but my doctor was aware of, of what was happening. And at that point, you know, he stood behind what I had said as far as, you know, this just becoming an ethical issue. Um, and at this point illegal. Um, and we had not had to deal with the insurance aspect. 
Yeah, and I think that this is like a tiny little example of what happens on a day-to-day basis, right? Do you have any samples you can throw me? Right. Do you have um can can you just say I paid the county fee? Is there a way we could just get a letter that says I don't need to do this? Right. Um you know, we are we had the conversation about service dogs and therapy dogs and you know, I think on a, on a day-to-day basis it it just seems like a tiny little thing. But if it's something you actually started looking at and maybe ticking off a little mark every time you were asked to do something somewhat questionable in a quote unquote kidding way throughout your day, you might actually find you're being asked to do a lot of sort of unethical things. Can Is there a good sandbox you can pull it from? Um, even just the little passive aggressive statements about how much money they've already paid toward something or another. Um, it just, it fascinates me if you really start to think of these statements independently and individually. And I'm certainly, please, don't start focusing on the negative things about your clients all day, every day. I, this is not the <laughs> mindset I want you to live in. But I just think if you kind of start to pay attention, you might realize, and I'm shouting at you office managers out there, how many ethical situations your staff is put in on a day-to-day basis and how much they're having to put that on their shoulders and deal with it if you don't have an SOP, if you don't have a practice around it, and if you're not out there educating your clients about the things you will and won't tolerate. So Lisa, let me, let's talk about now on the other side of this. this. This happened. It didn't really happen, but it almost happened, but it happened enough to kind of alarm you, right? And mm-hmm. now you're like, whoa, what will you do? What will, you, what will your team now do to make sure that it doesn't happen again, or if and when it does, you're better equipped to handle it. Um, I think what we ended up just kind of deciding was that this this does fall into conversations that generally happen either with myself or uh, the the orthopedic doctor that we um, use. Um, so generally, the the CRS doesn't necessarily have to be trained on on how to deal with something like that because those conversations usually come directly to us. Um, but I think, and from here on out, I think approaching the situation as more of an illegal activity would be a little bit more alarming to the client um, and and thus guiding them is not just a moral or ethical issue. It is, there are some repercussions behind yeah, it. It's a really good point. And you guys, neither of you are old enough to probably remember this, but there was a heartworm preventive years ago that had this program. And as long as you could prove that your dog had been on their product for a period of time, six to 12 months, I think it was 12 months, then they would pay for any heartworm disease that ever, you know, came about. Well, I had a second opinion, just like what you're talking about, Elisa, and they came in and their dog had heartworm disease and they wanted me to say that they had bought this heartworm preventive. She actually said, I will buy it right now from you. (laughs) And, you know, and you're like, Hey, so again, what I like about how Becky tied this in is it's those little things, right? That wasn't pet insurance fraud, but it was a fraudulent thing. It was a thing that I was uncomfortable, you know, trying to help these people with. And does it just chip away, Elisa, at our self-esteem? Does it contribute to burnout? I mean, do do you think that those little chips do have impact? I think right now, um, especially right now when everyone's kind of in an economic crisis, um, I was just a little drawn back on a smack of reality that, you know, finances are tough for a lot of people uh, more than usual. Um, and so I, I, I generally try to keep a positive aspect when it comes to clients and, and they're coming to us for help. So I try not to let those little dings get to me. Um, it just is one of those things that I want to be better prepared for, really. I love that. And what about like, you know, again, we had originally talked about this topic or at least these these sort of 
questionable ethical you know request in the context of convenience euthanasia but do you see does does this all sort of does that interlink as far as you're concerned um as far as convenient euthanasia being an issue for me yeah just like how how people putting us in these ethical binds like they ask us to put down their dog because their mom died and it was their dog and they don't have a place to keep it anymore you know those kind of situations like you know and pet insurance fraud is right there as well it's it's illegal and ethical does it affect us, you know, as our profession, you know, because we always talk about burnout and people, you know, being very unhappy in their work. Definitely. Uh, definitely. I, I think that when the client places blame of cost of, of services on us, um, it can be troublesome um, and overwhelming. And um, it's one of those things where you question your life's choices at times. Um, I think for me, myself, for being in, in this field for 12 years, it's kind of better better served me in the sense that I have learned to put certain boundaries on those types of things. And when people say things like that to me, it's not it's it's not a direct lash. They're they're lashing out because they're upset that they can't afford these these things. And it's not a, a hit on who I am because I know where I stand and I'm I'm here to, to treat your pet as best to my ability as I can. Um, so I, I try not to take those things personally. And I think that's why I've been able to stay in the career for as long as I have. <laughs> it's, it's so apparent. Becky, how do we take what Elisa has and make a uh, vaccine and give it to all veterinary technicians? <laughs> you know, honestly, like- I do think it ties back to our resiliency episode with Sarah Wooten, though, right? Is Elisa has found a great way to uh, build her resiliency and to create a dialogue that takes the personal aspect out for her. And that's coping, right? So um, it, it it is what ties to the longevity in this profession. So, you know, it's, it's not a vaccine. It's a resiliency and a work within yourself. And I imagine, Elisa, you've done a lot of work to get yourself there. And thank you for being one of those technicians that can do that and talk to that so that others can find that in them. Thanks. For, it's good to hear it for sure. <laughs> oh, yeah. You're amazing. So, uh, uh, and listen, if you ever want to move to North Carolina, you know, <laughs> hey, I'm just saying. But regardless, uh, as we sort of wrap up today's conversation, again, viewfinders, if there are pressing topics on your mind, reach out to us. You can see we we will get you on the show, <laughs> especially if it's such an awesome you know topic as this. But but Elisa, you, you've you've been in the profession for 12 years. You've got a positive attitude. You're dealing with these coping mechanisms. You know, what what advice would you give that struggling RVT or, or veterinary professional out there today? What would you tell them to help them get through maybe a, a rough patch? Uh, that usually everything's pretty temporary. Um, and if you're in it for the reasons you started to get in it, um, just go back to remembering why you started it. And if you're unhappy with, you know, where you're at as far as becoming a, a questionable place of employment, um, there are better places to work and you just got to look for them. We love that. It is temporary and our time is up for this episode of the Veterinary Viewfinder. And guys, I got to tell you, I am so, so thankful to have people like Elisa Mariner, RVT, out there in our profession. She is a wonderful advocate for not only the veterinary profession, but also for just pet care in general. I can tell you, you are a phenomenal force. It is so inspirational to hear you talk. And I really want to thank you once again for reaching out to us and saying, hey, here's a topic that I think needs more exploration. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. It's truly an honor. I appreciate it. Well, viewfinders, you've heard what we have to say. Now we want to hear from you. Are you being placed in some of these ethical situations where you feel like you have to do some kind of moral gymnastics to stay on the right side of the law? If you are, we want to hear what those situations look like. 
And we really want to know if there are other topics that you'd like for us to explore on the Veterinary Viewfinder. That's right. You can find us on Facebook at Veterinary Viewfinder, on Twitter and Instagram at Vet Viewfinder. And you can listen to us wherever you listen to podcasts and enjoy them. Uh, newly on Spotify. Thanks, Dr. E. I've yeah. been pushing for that for a minute. But <laughs> if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, that's a place you can really help us get the message out. Make sure you head over there, leave some stars and some feedback for us. That's right. Stay safe, everybody. Give your pets a hug. And thank you once again for listening. Bye. 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 Excellent.